following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. What is up, everybody? It's Alex Fishbein back again with the Atlantic Files. Of course, always brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports. And this time, I have our Nets correspondent with me, Mike Bash from the Underdog Sports. What's going on, Mike? Good. How are you? How's everyone? Good, good, good. So, Let's start things off. Everyone that's been listening to the show knows that I've been a Sixers fan for a long, long time, and it always comes out when I get really heated about stupid stuff that they do and all that kind of stuff. But they haven't met you yet. They don't know that you are from originally from New Jersey, correct? Yes, I uh, born and raised, been here my whole life. All right, and you are also a Nets fan. So tell us how and when exactly did you become a Nets fan? I guess, uh, you know... I st- my first basketball game I went to was probably when I was five years old. I uh, it was I think it was '98 or '97. I, I don't remember the year exactly, but my uncle brought me to a game and I saw the Nets play against Stockton and Malone. And you know I'm a local guy, so all the- I root for all the local teams. So I decided there to take the Nets, who were in New Jersey at the time, over the Knicks. And well, for my life, it's been a better, it's been the right choice. Yeah, I, I would imagine that, especially. Right now, it's kind of kind of looking good. <laughs> yeah, you know the the Knicks. I think have won one playoff game since I've been alive. So, you know, I can The Nets had a couple of fi- champion. Not they didn't win the championship, but they made it to the finals. So, I had some deep playoff runs in my time. Oh yeah, I I remember them very very steadily. The the battles between Allen Iverson and and the Jason Kidd and Vince Carter Nets. Well, don't forget about Kerry Kittles. Oh, that's true. Of course, you can't forget about uh, one of the local products. Kerry Kittles. Yeah, he's a Villanova guy. We had Richard Jefferson. Um, you know, a young Richard Jefferson and Kenyon Martin before they blew that up with Vince Carter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, lo- I mean, Kenyon Martin was one of the most fun big men to watch back then, too. I mean, you never know what kind of game he was going to bring night in and night out and then of course Richard Jefferson could just dunk on anybody at that point in time too yeah yeah he's uh th- that was a fun team to watch especially when they got a kid from the Suns oh yeah yeah that was I mean easily their best team so far <laughs> if you're if you're not counting the New York Nets when they were in the ABA yeah. but um I, I, don't, I don't know how they would stack up against like the Deron Williams Joe Johnson team but it, it was pretty good <laughs> pretty fun to watch which we would have got over the hump, but we lost to two really good teams. Oh, yeah, for sure. So let's jump into really what's going on with the Nets now. So before the like before Jeremy Lin got hurt, um, what exactly were your expectations going into this season for the Nets? Well, when you look at the Nets... Billy King really left them in a bad spot. He traded, I believe was, they traded three first-round picks that at the time was going to be in the 20s, you know, not going to be anything big, and it's turned into Jalen Brown for the Celtics. It's turned into the pick that the Cavaliers now own, which could be a high pick, and it turned into, I, I'm blanking out right now, it turned into one other, um, who's the pick last year? Oh, um, the, the um, Markel Fultz right. was the yeah. number one overall pick. So, you know, they traded away three potential top five picks to go at it with an old KG, an old Paul Pierce, 
and that just didn't work. So the Nets are facing a long rebuild, and they don't have any of their own picks. They still don't have their own pick this year. Um, with the with what they assembled, I was expecting a team to improve, not be the worst team in the league, maybe be inching close to 30 wins, which would still have them towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference, but with no no, no incentive to tank this year, they needed to win as many games just so that they didn't give away another top, you know, top two pick. Right. And with, I like the move they made the trade away Brooke Lopez to get D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell is still 21 years old. He is a potential franchise player. And in the first week of the season, he's looked every bit of that franchise player. He's averaging 23 points a game. Yeah, he's turning the ball over a little too much, but that's what happens when you put him back as the, at the one guard. He's going to have to force himself to make plays and, with that, you know, with a young 21-year-old point guard, that's going to come with the little turnovers. So, you know, I like what I see so far. I think they could still get close to 30 wins, but it's going to be a lot tougher without Jeremy Lin. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you on that. And, I mean, when they went out in the off season, I was I was like, you know, um, they're, they're, they're going to have to kind of make something out of nothing. Because like you said, they traded away all their picks. They're not really going to get that uh, injection of young, really young, top-level talent. And so they're going to have to make some kind of moves, even if it means signing some guys to a little bit iffy contracts. Well, I mean, I know personally I did not see the deal coming for D'Angelo Russell. Did you think that they would... Uh, flip Brooke Lopez into a guy like D'Angelo Russell, or did you think that they just would kind of get dimes on a dollar for it? I didn't see that coming either. Um, I knew they were going to look to get some sort of young talent or at least a lottery pick in exchange for Brooke Lopez because, you know, watching Brooke Lopez for seven, eight years, he, he's one of the best offensive centers in, in all of basketball. For sure. Yeah, he's not a shot blocker. Yeah, he's not a great rebounder, but he could shoot. He could post up and – any team would love to have him in a playoff series because, you know, you could run the offense right through him. I was happy with it because I looked at the Nets and with all these, when they got rid of Williams, they got rid of Joe Johnson, they traded Boyan to the Wizards for a first-round pick, which turned into Jared Allen. They got rid of um, all their big contracts. So they had a lot of cap space and they didn't have a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. That afforded them the ability to take on Timothy Mozgov, which is the reason they got D'Angelo Russell. The, the Lakers weren't just going to trade away D'Angelo Russell for for um, for Brook Lopez, but right. getting out of that Mozgov contract helps them not only this year, but it helps them you know in the years to come when they try to go after the big-name free agents. So I, I, I like the idea the Nets had of taking on these bad contracts to field the team for the next couple of years because, A, they have no incentive to tank, and, B, you know they want to grow their young talent and – by taking the bad contracts that allows them to do that. Right, right, definitely. I mean, that uh, being able to take Mozgov on, like you said, is definitely huge for them, just to kind of, once he finally is done, to clear that cap space. And um, I also thought that what they did, not this past offseason, but the offseason before, was also kind of smart in the in the fact that, you know, try and sign the the Tyler Johnsons and the Allen Crabs to huge contracts and make those teams pay even more for their guys if they want to keep them, um, even though they did end up getting Allen Crab. Um, but like you said, that uh, like getting that pick for Bogdanovich and getting um, um, Jared Allen with the with the draft pick, I he's one of the guys that I've really been looking forward to watching. I think he's going to be a very exciting player and I feel like he could sort of be like a Nerland's Noel kind of type for the Nets moving forward and um I I think that that will be like one of the things that they could build around in terms of their defense especially having another guy on their team like Hollis Jefferson who's also a, a very good defender in his own right um and so so now we'll fast forward a little bit. So we went through the off season. You you get into the season. They look decent in the first game, and then Jeremy Lin gets hurt. So what was your, what were your immediate thoughts when you saw him go down? Well, I was watching the game, and when when I saw him go down, I didn't think anything of it. You know, he at, at full speed, you didn't see his knee buckle, 
and he and he went down behind the basket, so you couldn't even see him. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, timeout was called. They panned him. He's crying hysterically, and you knew right then and there, you know, ninety percent chance he was going to be done for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I hoped it wasn't a bad injury, but you know, the report came out the next morning: ruptured Achilles tendon. And you knew there, then and there, it was he was done for the season. And we signed him before last season, and last season he was hurt a lot. So in two years, we barely got to see what Jeremy Lin could do for the Nets. But you know, it gives there is a silver lining, and it lets the young younger guards that we have continue to develop, continue to get playing time, and hopefully when Jeremy Lin comes back next year, everyone's you know ready to go and maybe make a playoff push. Right, right. I mean. Yeah, I, I guess if you do kind of take a step back and look at it, it's it's almost as if it's like business as usual for the Nets because, like you said, they haven't had him really all that much in these past season, and and then won't be having him won't be having him for the rest of this season. Um, I, I I think the the one the one downside, not the I shouldn't say the one downside, but the major buzzkill that comes with Jeremy Lin getting injured is. I think the idea was to have D'Angelo Russell play the two guard. He in his first game as you know as a net, he played off the ball and he had thirty points. You know, in the second game he had to play a point guard, he had eleven points. Right. I think that dynamic of having those two guys in the same backcourt spelt you know was something good for the Nets, and we didn't we got to see it for forty two minutes or however long you know Jeremy Lin lasted. Which yeah. it's a shame to see with a young team, but they they got they got Spencer Dinwiddie, they got. Um, they got uh, Isaiah Whitehead, who they just brought up. They have Alan Crabb. They have uh, who's the other point guard? They have one other guy. Uh, Sean Kilpatrick is another guard. So they have depth at the guard position. It's just you know Jeremy Lin was the veteran, was the leader of the team, or was supposed to be the leader of the team. Right, right, definitely. And see that that's what I think. Uh, like why I like what the Nets are doing so far is like you just touched on is that they do have a lot of depth at that guard position. Now they might not be like the, like I was talking about before, like the top talent, but at least they have guys they can, you know, rotate in there and get them some experience and see kind of, kind of do what the Sixers did with like Covington and them and kind of feel out which one might be the diamond in the rough. Um, And so that, that brings me to say like, out of those guards in the rotation, obviously you would like D'Angelo Russell. I mean, he's he's obviously the guy like you were talking about would be the one to build around. Out of those other ones, who do you think could really make a lasting impression and stick with this team for a while? I don't know if I named him. He's kind of a two threes, like an undersized three in today's NBA, a, a uh, prototypical two sizes. Caress Levert, he's oh, a yeah. second-year player out of Michigan. When they drafted him, they traded back into the first round, or they might have had their uh, pick swap with Boston, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they got him, and he was, you know, he was supposed to be a lottery pick, maybe even like pushing a top ten pick. And then he went down with a knee injury at Michigan, and he fell in the draft. And people said he might fall out of the first round, but they got him. They let him come back. You know, they let him rehab. They let him get healthy, and he's been a bright spot for the Nets. He's twenty three years old. He, you know, he could score and. A lot of people that I talk to call him a mini KD. You know, he's not six. He's not six eleven, but he's six seven. And actually, his nickname is Baby Durant around the league. So, you know, he's a guy I like. He's he's up from eight points last year to twelve points already. And I, I think he's a guy that him. If him and Russell are the backcourt of the future, that's not something I'm complaining about. Oh yeah, no, not at all. I mean, he's been he's been showing some some very good promise so far, especially for a guy that has missed like that much time with a knee injury from Michigan. Um, but like we've been seeing, sometimes it does take that luck of a girl of, of a guy getting, getting hurt and, you know, him falling in the draft, like we've seen with, you know, guys like Embiid. Um, and so that could be maybe just a lucky break on the, the net side there. Um, so, I know that K- 
Kilpatrick has really benefited from, you know, the Nets just not having a whole lot of talent so he can get playing time. And it looked like he had the ability to to score for the most part, but he was really just in the inconsistent kind of level where it was like, I don't know, he might be a rotational player, he might not. Do you think that he would be more of like the sixth man uh, uh, for them going forward? Or would he be more of that guy almost like a you know, like a uh, Richard Jefferson for the, the Cavs, kind of like a seventh, eighth guy off the bench who comes in, does a little bit of scoring, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then goes back to the bench, and that's about it. Um, I believe, I think he's more of, he's kind of in the middle of both of those. I don't think on this team he's a sixth man because right now they're not, I don't think they're starting Alan Crabb on a regular basis. So he's kind of that instant offense kind of guy. But mm-hmm. Kilpatrick averaged 13 points a game last year, and I, I watched I actually had the pleasure of watching Kilpatrick back when he was in the Big East, and he, you know, he he's a guy who could he could just score. He 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 he. You give him the ball, you ask him to create offense. He could put the ball in the basket. Yeah, he's not a superstar player, or he's not a franchise building player, but you know, he, he's a guy in the second unit. You need you need points out of the off the bench. He's the perfect guy for that. I, I think he's an NBA rotational player. Um, I wouldn't say he's a Richard Jefferson at this Richard Jefferson on the Cavs. Well, he got waived, but when he was on the Cavs, yeah. it was just he comes in, plays defense. Maybe he gets like a layup or two in transition, but he, you know, you were not running any offense through him. Right. With Sean Kilpatrick, you know, you could run that little pick and pop game. You could he he could spot up in transition, so he has a lot, he has a lot more offensive upside coming off the bench. Okay, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I guess Richard Jefferson was probably not that great of a comparison. Probably more of. Maybe if it was a rookie Richard Jefferson back on the O two O three Nets, that that might have been better. Yeah, yeah, or even or even maybe like a J.R. Smith, <laughs> just not as. He, I, I crazy. think he takes smarter shots than J.R. Smith. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if anyone takes the kind of shots that J.R. Smith takes, except maybe like Nick Young. <laughs> those, those two guys are pretty much the same player. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're both unique in their own right. Um, It'll be, be fun to see them in the, both in the NBA Finals this year. That that should be very fun, uh, along with um, Javale McGee too. <laughs> uh, yeah, so case. Oh yeah. So moving on now to uh, D'Angelo Russell. What exactly have you seen from like? Have you have you really seen that different of a game from him from when he was on the Lakers to now on the Nets? Do you think that it is a result of maturity so far, or do you think it really is a result that now he has the confidence as, you know, the coach is handed in the keys, he's the go-to guy, and this is what he's going to do with it? And do you think that... Um, he would benefit more like this is looking a li- like pretty far ahead now do you think he would benefit more from getting another star player in the backcourt or do you think he would benefit more from having that star player in the front court that's a good question um I, I, was, I think to the point about the lakers and how he performed there i think you know byron scott was the head coach he had the incident with nick young mm-hmm. I, I i don't think he had the full support of the organization at that point you know he he wasn't him and there was always reports that him and byron scott weren't meshing together and then obviously his teammates probably turned on him after what he did was he was he contributing yeah he was averaging 13 points in his rookie year six almost 16 points in his second year but he he just didn't ever seem to be like oh this guy's gonna be the next guy you know this guy's gonna be take over for kobe when kobe leaves Right. I think this is a better situation for him. I think the Kenny Atkinson's Kenny Atkinson's um, up tempo style fits mm-hmm. him better. You could see it in his stat line so far. You know, it's a small sample size of three games, but all across the board, all his numbers are up. He's uh, you know twenty one points, seven assists. He's shooting thirty five percent, and he's shooting fifty one from behind the line and fifty one percent from the field. You know, all those are improvements from what he was doing with the Lakers. Yeah, his usage is up as well, uh, being thrust into a starting lineup being the go-to guy having the offense run through him but that's what you expect when you take a guy with the second overall pick you don't expect the guy to be Sean Kilpatrick off the bench you expect the guy to be the go-to guy and so far so good um can he keep it up time will tell but I as as a Nets fan I've watched him 
for three games so far, and I, I really like what I see. Right, of course, yeah. I mean, he, he brings that he brings that flair to the game that I feel like the Nets have been missing for 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 a while. Oh yeah, that I completely agree with that because even even when they did have Darren Williams, Joe Johnson. Uh, like Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, they still didn't have that kind of flair because those guys were, you know, on their way to the the latter stages of their career. So they were more of in that that mindset of let's get it done more than you know let's let's do this and do it with like flash and show. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree that bringing that that flair to it not only makes it exciting for the fans, but I feel like it kind of energizes the rest of the team along with it. Because they're like, hey, this guy is going out there and doing all this crazy, flashy passes, and he's getting to the hoop, and he's getting the n1s and it just brings the rest of the team up with him because they see better things happening now. So I definitely hear that point from you. So to go along with that, that last question was, do you think that he would benefit more from having a backcourt star in the future or a frontcourt star? Um, I, I think... I think if we could pair him with a you know a talented big man, mm-hmm. um, I think that would probably be what's best for him. Uh, you know, a guy that you know another guard would help, but a big man you you can run the offense. If you can run the offense through a big man, I'm not saying a Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not saying a um, you know Anthony Davis type talent, but a, a guy who you could dump the. You know, if we had a Brook Lopez, if we hadn't traded away Brook Lopez, obviously. If we had a Brooke Lopez to pair with D'Angelo Russell, I think that'd be the perfect pairing for him. A guy that you could pick and pop with, a guy that you could dump the ball down into the post with. You know, it takes the pressure off him to have to create everything. You know, right. if a big man could draw a double team, they can kick it back out to to a guy like D'Angelo Russell. I, I think a good big man would be the best pairing for D'Angelo Russell moving forward. So would you be saying like a Jaleel Okafor type? <laughs> I I've seen actually a, a rumor that he might be going. Uh, there, a possible trade destination would be with the six uh, with the Suns for Eric Bledsoe. I, I I don't like Julio Okafor's game. I didn't like it in college. He I felt like in college he was just bigger than everyone. He was just stronger than everyone, and that was what made him successful. Right. In the NBA, you're not bigger than everyone. You're not stronger than anyone. You need. Oh, he doesn't have he can't shoot free throws well and he doesn't have that 15 18 footer to stretch the floor. You need you need that now. Carlton, right. Anthony Davis, Marcus Aldridge, Marcus Saul, Paul Gasol, uh you know, they all have that you know, they all have that. Andre Drummond doesn't have it, but he's athletic. You know, you, you have to either have supreme athleticism or a jump shot and Andre all Julio Okafor has is he can back it down. Yep. No, I, I mean, you're preaching to the choir there. Uh, I, I completely agree. And even it, that, like, to your point, that goes to with a lot of guys who are kind of on their way out of the NBA because they just weren't finding a niche. They then all of a sudden found a three-point shot, and they were good again. And people wanted them. Like, the prime example I always go back to was Drew Gooden. I mean, he was easily like nobody was going to pick him up and then all of a sudden he developed like a 35 percent three-point shot and the wizards were like hey we could use him and he did come up big in in like a few of those playoff moments when he was on the team so uh, like that's just something that pretty much every big man almost needs nowadays and so yeah like you said if you don't have either of those the athleticism or that mid-range two three-point shot um then you're going to be slowly phased out um so like going forward obviously the nets right now they're two and one um and in the the young season so far they're third in the entire eastern conference and tied for first in the atlantic um can we stop the season right now what was that i said can we just stop the season right now and just Go right to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, just we'll just end this right now. But I, I mean, I actually I don't know if you want to end it right now because right now they would face the Cavs in the playoffs. <laughs> well, you know, beggars can't be choosers. True, true. Well, I mean, hey, if you maybe lose one more game, let the Raptors win one more game, then you face Orlando. I mean, I'd definitely I, like we, your chances against Orlando. Yeah, we just beat Orlando. I mean, we we couldn't contain Nikolai Vucevic to save our lives, but you know. 
we, we beat them, so I would take that matchup. Exactly. A W is always what matters. <laughs> a win is a win, a loss is a loss. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Exactly. So going off that, what are your expectations for like these these next, I would say, let, let's just say leading up to the All-Star break. I know that's a way long ways away, but what is your kind of expectation for the first half of the season? Is it more, you know, get these other guys in now that Lynn is down, develop them and not even worry about wins, just go for the development? Is it go for, uh, like, try and win no matter what? Is it a combination of the two? What, what do you think? So the All-Star break is, that's a ways away. Um, yeah, it's like February. Um, I would say, let's go to January 1st. So that okay. would that would leave us 36 games into the season. Right now we're two and one. You know we have some games against the couple games against the Cavs, couple games against the Celtics, against the Warriors. So you know most of those games are going to be automatic losses. Mm-hmm. If, if if the Nets through 36 games could be 16 and 20, I would be ecstatic. I think that would show great improvement from last year. I would think that would show the team is meshing well and has responded well to losing Jeremy Lin. Do I think they will be sixteen and twenty? That <laughs> might be the absolute up, like complete everything breaks right for them. You know, they win a miraculous game like at the Grizzlies or something. You know, they steal a game at at Toronto like that. That would have to happen for them to get to that. I, I think more realistically, fourteen and twenty two, fifteen. I'd say fourteen and twenty two would probably be their most realistic record come the new year. Okay. I mean that that is pretty much close to the predictions I had there from from the last uh, episode. I had them at twelve wins at January first, um, and I have them ending with around like twenty eight, twenty nine wins. Um, but yeah, I mean it's, it's pretty close. And and yeah, like you said, if they if if they come up to January 1st with like a 500 or closer to 500 record, then yeah, that means they've had a lot of things go their way. Uh, especially because like when you look at the stats, they're they're first in the league right now in points per game with 124. But they are also second to last in points given up per game at 121. <laughs> well, so, you, you, you knew that was going to happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like that's the defensive part isn't the surprise at all, um, but you know, like obviously that the offense kind of will have to regress more towards the average, um, you know, just just to kind of mellow out there. And I think the big thing is, I would rather see them play a lot more of the guys like Levert, like, you know, um, Hollis Jefferson over Damari Carroll. Um, personally, I've never been much of a Damari Carroll fan. Uh, I've, I kind of like have wrecked him ever since he's been on the Raptors. Um, but I'd, I'd like to see them play more of him over more of them over Carroll, obviously more of, you know, like Jared Allen, those guys over Mozgov. I do, however, love Trevor Booker right now on the Nets. What are your thoughts on Trevor Booker? I, you know, I, I was looking at Trevor Booker. I actually personally have him on my fantasy team. The Nets always seem to have that guy, whether you look back a few years ago, Andre Bloch, or before that, um, you know, before Jay-Z decided to get rid of him, uh, Chris Humphreys. Mm-hmm. Um, they've always had that guy, comes off the bench, you know he's not the most talented of players. He's not the he's not the most skilled of players, but he gets like a double double. He averages a double double. I don't know how they find him, but that's what Trevor Booker is. He comes off the bench. He's playing, I think, close to thirty minutes. Yeah, he's playing. Um, he's playing twenty six minutes a game. He's averaging seventeen and nine. I don't think that he's going to average seventeen points for the rest of the season, but he, he's just one of those guys. He comes in, plays hard. I like him. I, he, I think he's a perfect role player. He's a perfect role player for a team like the Nets, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad the Nets have him. You know, he's gonna he'll probably probably finish with you know 12 points, eight rebounds, 12 points, seven and a half rebounds. Right. I, I love. I will take that guy on my team any day of the week. 
Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I just lo- like because usually when Trevor Booker's out there, some kind of crazy hustle play happens and he's always in the center of it. And it's like usually one of the funniest things ever. I mean, I still love when he was on Utah, too, and they had that pass where he kind of like slapped it like over his head and into the hoop because there was one second left on the shot clock. I remember that from last year. I remember that. <laughs> that that was, I mean, it was priceless. Like, nobody had any idea that would go in. Um, but he, he also kind of reminds me, well, obviously, with better offense, much better offense, he kind of reminds me of a guy like Reggie Evans, like a guy that comes in, gives you 110% for every single minute he's in there, and then, you know, when he comes out, he at least gave those starters the quality rest and like he didn't really give up much of a lead if any lead at all while he's on the court um it's funny it's funny you bring up reggie evans why is that because we have our new reggie evans and quincy ac quincy ac is the bald guy with the big beard and all he does is rebound that i was i was actually gonna bring him up too i was gonna say i also like the kind of minutes that quincy ac gives the team when he's on the floor (laughs) Reggie Evans was one of my favorite players to watch because this guy, first off, I, he would have 20 rebound games like night in and night out. Oh, and, yeah. But he'd get a rebound underneath the hoop with nobody around him and he wouldn't shoot it. He'd dribble it out and pass it out to a guard. He was like so, it was like he was traumatized from getting swatted once in his life and he just never wanted to shoot again. Every time he got a rebound, never put it back up. He would average, I think like, two and a half, three points a game, but it would come off the free throw line or something. It was funnest guy to watch. It was all hustle, but it, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I would say Trevor Brooker is more skilled than Reggie Evans. Maybe not oh, as yeah. a rebounder just because Reggie Evans averaged like, averaged like 22 rebounds a game for 48 <laughs> minutes or something. It was like insane. But yeah. it, you know, I, I, I love what, um, I love what Booker brings to the team. And, but Quincy AC is our Reggie Evans. That's, that's what, when I see Quincy AC, I just think of Reggie Evans. Yeah, that Quincy AC is definitely a, a great comparison, um, especially, I mean, looks-wise, obviously, that's perfect fit. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, both of those guys are <clears throat> just those those great hustle guys off the bench. And, I mean, honestly, that's really what you want for any team, ranging from a championship team all the way down to a rebuilding team. Like, those are the guys that are, like, the cornerstones of your team because they – they they're like the lead by example guys and the ones that are perfectly happy in their role they'll stay in their role and they give you and you know exactly what they're going to give you like that that's it and that's that's what you're going to get and those guys are great i mean and you they're usually fun to watch like we're talking with trevor booker and and reggie evans and and quincy ac um so i've like i've watched this team off and on a little bit for the past like four or five seasons now uh and i really wanted spencer dinwiddie to work like i I, like from detroit till now like i've wanted him to work but i just haven't really seen enough of him to really be confident that he could stick in the nba is there anything that you you might see that maybe i don't that that you think he could be a rotational player or do you think he's one of the first guys out the door when they do get better players uh that that, that's tough to say he's still a young player i actually wrote a small article when jeremy lynn went down about how are they going to replace jeremy lynn and i actually think then what the Nets should do, especially if they want to keep um, D'Angelo Russell at the two guard, mm-hmm. is I think that they should start Spencer Dinwiddie. He's a six-six okay. point guard. He brings a you know he brings that matchup of being a tall point guard that's tough for teams to, to handle. Yeah, he's not going to put up a twenty-five points a game or anything. But in, in three games this season, he's had four assists. He's had five assists. He's had five assists, and he's only had three turnovers. So you got a fourteen to three, you know, assist to turnover ratio. If he's going to take care of the ball, he's going to, you know, set up his teammates. I have no problem starting Spencer Dinwiddie. Seeing what you have, he's twenty four years old and he's a former first round pick. I, I believe he's a former first round pick. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe you're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. He was a second round pick. He was picked thirty eighth overall. But you uh, know, yeah, right in the beginning of the second round. Yeah. But you know, I, I'd like to see what we have in him. I, I love you know size. 
if you're not going to be a six, you know, six one point guard with speed, then I love to see a six six point guard with size. Right. No. I, I, okay. Yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. Um, you know, and I think doing that allow. I think to to have a successful team, you have to utilize your biggest strengths. And our most talented player is Daniel Russell, and his biggest strength, I think, is off the ball. Putting him at the two guard gives this team the best chance to win, in my opinion. So if you're going to go with a point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie's our next man up. I I, I respect that. That that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, and I guess really what I was I was looking at was more from the aspect of Spencer Dinwiddie himself and what really he can bring to the offense. But that is a very good point with D'Angelo Russell playing more off the ball there. Um, and like, is there any like w- w- when we were talking about Karis Levert? Is there any way that he could kind of also convert to a primary ball handler, or is he, or do you think he's not really like up to snuff really to be that kind of player? Because obviously, like we were talking about, like he he can score from like almost anywhere. Like he he's a he's a very promising young player, and. Personally, I would love to see the ball in his hands more often just to see exactly what he can do with it and if he can grow into a kind of role like that where he can kind of share ball handling uh, duties with D'Angelo Russell when he's out on the floor. Do you think he can become that kind of player or that he should kind of stick to the more off-ball type as well and kind of be more of a catch-and-shoot or a kick-out guy to kind of just get a bucket when they need it? I don't think he will ever develop into a a ball handler he's he he's you know he's a six foot seven wing i don't think i'm not saying he can't dribble the ball or anything i'm not knocking that ability but i don't, I don't think he would ever run the offense right. he to me he, he he looks like he has the ability ability to be what a marshawn brooks with more defense marshawn brooks played absolutely no defense he was a traffic cone on defense but he you needed a basket this guy can put the basket ball in the basket as soon as he crossed half quarter um caress Levert, I think has that same ability, you know, that offensive. He's a he's an offensive powerhouse once he gets going, and I, I think leaving him at the three. If you want to put him at the two and run D'Angelo at the one, I don't have a problem with that. But those two guys have to be the building blocks of the franchise. Right, I I, I completely agree. Um, so what we'll do here for a a final uh, like breakdown got three quick questions i mean you can either go in depth with them or kind of just like do shorter answers um so the first one is will d'angelo russell win most improved player of the year that is a tough question gut reaction i i would say no okay only because i don't even think he's the most improved player on the nets right now oh really who so who do you think would be the most improved player on the nets then I th- just after this is just after three games. Well, yeah. Um, I would say it's the uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I don't know if you've watched a Nets game this year, but he looks like a totally different player. He, you know, I'm not saying from a stat t- standpoint where he's going to go from eight points a game to twenty points a game. Right. But he just, you know, he just looks like whatever he did in the off season, it worked. You know, he, he's he's always had defense. He's always had, you know, uh, speed and athleticism. But now he's putting the ball in the basket he's still rebounding at a good rate and he he looks like he's taking the next step as a player and he could be an important player moving forward for the nets but as term as a in terms of a most improved player i couldn't tell you who in the league will win that uh you know for all intents and purposes Jonas could win it again just because his he's taken his his uh game to the next level but it, i you know, my first reaction to that would be no i don't think um d'angelo will win most improved okay and I do, I do like that point about Hollis Jefferson. He is a guy that I've watched uh, a, a good amount since he's been in the league. Um, since he's also a local guy, uh, he's from uh, Pennsylvania. Yep, yep. So I, I've been, I've been kind of following him a little bit closely there to see how he's been doing. And he has, I mean, he has been showing really, really good things so far. Like, I mean, he is averaging twelve, twelve points, five rebounds one assist, one steal, and a block. I mean, that's that's big time so far, especially with uh, how young he is, only being 23. Um, and so the other question was, 
Will the Brooklyn Nets finish in last in the Atlantic Division? Uh, I gotta, I get. Let me, let me give me a second to think about. It. Um, yeah. I don't. I think it depends on what the Knicks do. Um, I think if you look at who's, you know, Porzingis is better than D'Angelo Russell, so they have the most top end talent between the two of us. Right. I just don't think the Knicks have anything else around Porzingis. Uh, I think the Sixers are exciting. I, I think even without the injury to to Hayward, that the Celtics will be fine. The Raptors will be fine. My uh, initial reaction, or my initial my initial guess at that, would be that the Knicks finish last and the Nets finish in fourth. And that's not because of the rivalry. That's that's an honest assessment. I yep. That that's that's exactly where I had him. I mean, I completely agree that after Porzingis, it's kind of like. There's not much there, especially since Needle Aquina has, you know, gone out with his ankle injury and he hasn't really shown much. And and I don't think uh, Michael Beasley, who calls himself the left-handed Carmelo Anthony, is going to, you know, lead them to the promised land. Oh, yeah. And who who said he was on the same level as LeBron and Kevin Durant? <laughs> um, and so the last question I had there was... Um, Will the Nets sign a, let's see, how do I want to word this? Not like another Boyan type player? No, will will the Nets sign someone of the same caliber as D'Angelo Russell this summer? Like his, his caliber or higher? Is there, is there a, a list of potential free agents? Uh, I can give you one in one second right here. Okay, because I don't know who's available other than you know the Paul George having the opt out and. I mean, there's um, there's obviously LeBron and Paul George, um, and Westbrook resigned, so he will not be there. Demarcus Cousins will be a free agent. If they um, want Isaiah Thomas. Um, no. I, I, I'm looking at the list of potential free agents. Now, a lot of these guys are probably um, restricted free agents that I'm seeing. Right. There's one guy that I actually uh, I actually see here that I don't know if you'd say he's at the same caliber. I, if you go by draft pedigree, he's at the same caliber mm-hmm. that they might make a run at, and that is Marcus Smart from Boston. Okay, okay. You know, they have so much tied up with the big three that I don't know if they're going to be able to fight uh, to afford Marcus smart. So in terms of, will they sign another, will they sign a guy like D'Angelo Russell or of that caliber? If they make a run at Marcus smart, maybe that, that could be considered of that caliber. Right. But other than that, I don't see anyone that, you know, th- because none of the veterans, like it's a Marcus cousins is going to come to Brooklyn. There's no reason over the next two to three years that the Nets are going to contend for an NBA championship. So there's no reason for a guy like DeMarcus Cousins to come here. And we, we've we taken on the big contracts of, of Mozgov, of Carroll, of Crabb. So we're not going to be able to clear enough cap space to bring in, like, two Supermax players. Right. So I, I would say no. I don't think we will sign that. I, I, the only guy on this list that I see that maybe we could sign would be a Marcus Smart. Okay. Just- I don't think Boston can afford to keep him. Would you would you be opposed to them signing a guy like Aaron Gordon? Yeah, I, I believe he's restricted, so I don't I don't even know if the Magic would let him get to us. Right. To me, he's a poor man's Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. He, you know, if you're trying to just acquire talent, he's fine. But I don't think he's any franchise changing type of player. Right. So. I, I that's not something like if I'm the Nets, I'm not going after a free agent this year. I'm not going. I'm not going after a big name free agent just because. Makes sense. Until until we could develop young talent, until we can get our own draft pick, and until we can get rid of the big contracts that we took on to acquire the young talent, there's no reason for us to make a free agent splash. You know, signing a Aaron Gordon gets us an extra couple wins, but it's not going to get us to a championship level team. So right. I wouldn't go. I would would not make that aggressive move this season or next or maybe next season just because it wouldn't make sense for the for the team yep no it makes perfect sense and i mean i i also agree that they really shouldn't look for really free agents um unless it's kind of just people to fill the team out and you know just uh just to get them up to 
like the the minimum for the next season. Um, the only guy that I think they might sh- they should take a little bit of a look at, especially if they're still worried about Lynn being injured, would be Alfred Payton, just because he gives D'Angelo Russell the chance to work off the ball even more, especially because Alfred Payton is he, he is a good passer, also a good defender, um, and he can at least get the ball to uh to D'Angelo Russell in in many different ways but that's like the highest of the extent that I would really go if I was Brooklyn yeah and like I said before these a lot of these guys are restricted free agents so even if they offer them to whatever the max is for a guy off his rookie deal I don't think the magic or you know actually in both cases of Aaron Gordon off Payton being the magic I don't think either either of them are going to be let go of course um I don't mind that move, but like I said, I don't think making a splash in free agency this season makes sense for the Nets. Last season, they went after Contavious Caldwell-Pope. That was a move I didn't mind because it's a guy who was normally a restricted free agent, but due to salary constraints, the Pistons let him go. That would be a guy I'm taking a chance on. Like you know, If you want to take a chance on a guy that you're going to get because the team's not going to match their offer, fine. But, like, don't, no reason to bring in a superstar there other than to try to excite your fan base. You're not going to win a championship with just bringing in DeMarcus Cousins. And it, maybe it gets you to a playoff team, but being in mediocre, being right in the middle of everything is, is, is worse than being one of the bad teams in the NBA, even with the changes to tanking. Right, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. There's really no reason. And, I mean... That's also why bad teams such as like the Sixers from before and even um, the Timberwolves a while ago didn't try to sign that anybody that big because it doesn't help you in that time to do that. Um, yeah, I think the Timberwolves got rid of Kevin Love and you know they 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 did the, they did their rebuild in the smartest possible way. I mean they got lucky that a they got the number one pick in Wiggins from Cav- the Cavs. And then won the lottery and got called town to. I personally, I think he's going to be a top, if he's not already, he's going to be a top five player in the NBA. That that kid has all the talent in the world. He's 21 years old, seven footer, could dribble, shoot. You know, they're going to be as long as that core could stay together. They're going to be very good for a long time. Oh yeah, I mean, I, what I always thought of Carl Anthony Towns as Anthony Davis, but healthier. <laughs> A little, a little side note on Carl Towns. Um, I actually knew about him when he was Carl Towns Jr. He was um, he's from Jersey. Actually, right. I, know, I personally know his father, and he he grew up like 15 minutes or 20 minutes from me. And I said I said that this kid was going to be the number one overall pick when he was in eighth grade. And he got to high school. He started dominating as a freshman. Then by the time he was a senior, he was dropping quadruple doubles in um in in high school went to you know kentucky and obviously was the number one overall pick but the, the, that kid's like a generational talent he's he's like what lebron was what it what it was 14 years ago the, those kids come come by once every 10 15 years and oh. that's what i think he is yep i mean i i I couldn't agree more. And to your point, we also, uh, at Basketball Society, we actually held a basketball tournament over in Piscataway and uh, had his coach there and his trainer there. And, um, and yeah, I mean, we, we talked a lot of good basketball with them and, and a lot about Carl as well. And it was, yeah, I, I truly believe he is going to go down as, as one of the, the best bigs there are. Um and but yeah, that's uh, that's all we have here. So uh, let the people know where they can find you on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at at mbash underscore ninety three. Um, that's where you find me. And I have a I've been doing a series on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I published three articles, so you know you could you could read those throughout the season, and I'll keep going throughout the rest of the two thousand seventeen two thousand eighteen regular season. All right, guys, what's going on? I hope you enjoyed that interview there. Well, not really interview, but, you know, a little back and forth with Mike Bash about the Brooklyn Nets. We will definitely have him on in the future, so make sure you look out for those. And make sure you check out his articles on the Underdog Sports and give him a follow on Twitter there. So 
I just wanted to add a couple of things here to this episode of the podcast. One being, we kind of hinted at it earlier. Um, actually, we didn't hint at it earlier. I'm sorry. We said that before we started recording. So look at that. Um, what I want to talk about, obviously, is Markel Fultz getting his shoulder drained and his tra- or his um, agent saying that they are looking into options to get him back to 100% again. Now... If you guys have been listening to this podcast before, you would have known that last season I roasted the Sixers training staff for the whole predicament of Embiid, you know, tearing the meniscus, them allowing him to play on it and further damaging his knee in the end, causing him to miss the entire season when they said, you know, he'll just be out a couple games. He'll be fine. He'll be back. Yeah, no, you're wrong. So now... After watching your play, now, oh boy, after watching your player that you traded up to get, you traded up to the first pick to get, you traded multiple picks for him, you, I don't care if he said that, oh, it doesn't hurt that much, or oh, I can play through the pain, if you see him actively avoiding jump shots if you see him with this god awful free throw form with this this free throw that is flat out embarrassing not just to him but to the team but to to the fans are sitting there like we traded up to the number one pick to get this guy when we have seen other guys like jason tatum lonzo ball those guys actually hitting shots hitting free throws and stuff and lonzo ball's form is pretty ugly but at least he's making shots so you mean to tell me that you guys wouldn't be extra careful for a guy that that you put that you used a number one pick on, like number one overall pick on that is supposed to be one of the important pieces of this team, and you're not going to be careful with him and see these signs building up to say, hmm, maybe there really is something wrong with this guy's shoulder, and maybe we should figure it out before we keep him keep playing him more and letting him suffer and letting his confidence take the hit because he's not able to get and play the the offense that he's used to why would you uh, continuously allow him to go out there and and put his head down in almost shame that he can't make the same baskets he's been making throughout his whole career so far I don't understand the thought process that you would go through to allow this to happen. And the only thing I can think of is to avoid the narrative of, you know, oh, the Sixers only draft hurt players. They only draft rookies that are hurt, blah, blah, blah. If he's hurt, he's hurt. Like, who cares about the narrative? You want this guy healthy for a long time in his career, don't you? You want this guy to be an important aspect of the team for more than just his rookie year. I'm assuming here. That's just a guess. So why wouldn't you protect that that asset at all costs? It does not make sense, especially because you do have your guys like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid playing. Those two guys are playing, mind you, and they're playing very well. And other guys like Covington, like J.J. Redick, like T.J. McConnell, those guys are doing kind of good right now. And they at least did get their first win. Markel Fultz didn't really help much in it. He only had one bucket. He's not doing much right now, and he's in pain. The, the, the... Agent said he can barely lift his right arm. Now, I, that could be an exaggeration because he was shooting a lot and like kind of throwing the ball up there a lot in that game. Who knows? He might have been on painkillers or something while he was playing. Who knows? I mean, they, ha- they haven't said anything official about on- official on that, but it could be the fact that, you know, he knows he has pain, so he's going to play through it, and that's what he's doing. So... I don't understand why you guys, you guys as in as in the, the Sixers training staff, I don't understand why they wouldn't be extra precautious, see that his that he is seriously struggling, and say, huh, maybe we should get this checked out before 
you know, the media gets a hold of it. And the, the other thing is the media has known that this guy has had a hurt shoulder for a while because I remember stories coming out saying the reason he changed his shot is because his shoulder hurts. So if everyone else knows and has seen this story about his shoulder hurting, why wouldn't the training staff take it upon themselves to make sure it is 100%? It's We're only three games into the season. So like saying, oh, you know, it's a long season. Some of these guys have aches and pains. That doesn't even count because he's three games into it. So I don't understand why you wouldn't get that checked out and make sure it's okay. And as of right now, you should, like, the, in, in Woj's article, it said that there was no word on whether he will or will not play going forward. Why wouldn't you just come out and say, like, hey, look, we're shutting him down until we know it's 100%, get his confidence back in check again, make sure he's shooting the ball like normal again, and then put him back on the floor. Because then people will be like, this is the Markel Fultz we've expected. Here he is. The Sixers will be even more fun to watch. Why wouldn't you do that? Stop worrying about some kind of narrative that the national media might say and get your team ready to be the team that the local fans want it to be and have been told that it's going to be. Plain and simple. Now, for my out-of-bounds segment, I want to talk about, now this is still about basketball, so it's not like that much out of bounds. You know, it's like right on right on the sideline. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about guys that come into pickup games, rec games, whatever, with all the gear on, but can't play a lick of basketball. Now... Don't get me wrong, I, like there were times where I would come into a pickup game wearing like an NBA jersey, but it was usually like an old one, and you know, it was just because I liked wearing, I, I liked wearing tank tops to play sports and to work out in, and at the time, back then, I didn't have like any tank top shirts other than jerseys, so I would wear jerseys, and I know that's like usually a big, like, especially with street ball, is a big you better not do that or else everyone's coming for you. I understand that, but at me back then, I was kind of like, hey, I'm just going to wear this jersey because it's more comfortable to play basketball in rather than uh, uh, an old t-shirt. But I'm talking about the guys that come in with the full arm sleeves, with the headbands, with the the long tights, and, you know, the the knee pad tights, and the double socks, and the NBA, the NBA this, and the NBA that, and the latest... The latest and greatest shoes. If you have all of that and you come into a, a, a pickup game, there there's going to be two things that are going to happen. A, everyone's going to assume you are trash at basketball because usually the people who are really that good don't have to come in with all that gear. And B, they're going to think you better be really damn good or else you're going to get laughed at. Now, there are times that also, I'll go back to, to myself here just as an example. There are times where I will also wear the the, the leg tights. And I they are comfortable, don't get me wrong. So if you have that excuse like, but they're comfortable and they, and they you know, they help when you play. Hey, I understand that if you're just wearing like a regular t-shirt, shorts, and then the leg tights, that's perfectly fine. I'm talking about these guys decked out though. Like, and, and, and if you... It, first off, if you're wearing a headband, like you, I don't even see old guys wear headbands. But if you're wearing a headband when you come in, like you better be some kind of like you know headband LeBron kind of player. Like you better be coming in there acting like some kind of superhero, and you better be able to dunk the ball or do something crazy. Because in that case, why are you wearing a headband? Like it, it if you sweat a lot. You still don't really need a headband. Wipe yourself off with a towel and get back into the game. Like, there, there's really no reason for that. And then if you have a headband plus the shooting sleeve, and you can't, if you got a shooting sleeve and you can't even shoot, bro, bro, come on now, stop it. Just take the sleeve off. 
know who you are as a player and just stop playing. I mean, stop playing isn't like stop messing around. That goes along with, you know, like those big men that are the biggest guy on the court, but they want to hang around the three-point line as if they're a shooter because they made one three out of ten attempts. No, you're still a big man. If you get your big behind down low, we can get you the ball and we might win the game. But if we give you the ball up in the perimeter and you keep jacking up shots and you make one out of ten, whoop-de-doo, you made one three out of ten shots while the other team is probably getting a layup on the other side and beating you nine to two. Come on, stop being extra. Let's play the game. If you have the, if you have the skill there, if you have you know the IQ there, Sure, go ahead, wear that gear because you have earned it at that point. But if you come in there with all the gear and you don't even work on a jump shot and you don't work on on dribbling the ball and you look like you're back in peewee basketball, cut it out. Just just cut it out, you know, take a seat on the bench, let the real let the real hoopers play while you maybe learn a little bit. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, that is now it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Atlantic Files. Make sure you check out the Underdog Sports Podcast Network and the theunderdogsports.com, as well as basketballsocietyonline.com. Great, great content on both sites. Great podcast, great basketball content on both sites. And as I said before, make sure you check Mike Bash out and check out his Brooklyn Nets articles that are coming uh, uh, weekly there on the Underdog Sports. Thank you guys for listening. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace!